The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Okay, that's right, all those together. It is. I, I do want to say, as you're turning, one more last thank you to our ladies. Uh, uh, the artwork, if you will, uh, and it is artwork, up on the windows are things that the ladies worked on together uh, with all the uh, uh, group time they had. You see different references to Scripture and other things. Ladies, thank you for, for your time. This is the first time we did the ladies' conference, and I think it went well. So, uh, uh, ladies, the guys are asking for your advice. Uh, the guys are looking to have a conference, too. Uh, but as long as salad is not there, we welcome your help. So uh, God is good. But we look forward to that time. Ladies, thank you. I, there's so many names. You know who you are. Thank you, thank you, thank you for making it possible yesterday. Well, there's a story of a young man uh, after church uh, that this young man came to his mom, and uh, they had been taught that day about the end times, about the rapture. And this little young man came to his mom and said, Mommy, do you believe Jesus is going to come back? And his mom, of course, said, Yes, I do, son. Of course I do. Well, Mom, could he come today, this morning, while we're driving home? Well, yes. Uh, yes, he could. Well, Mom, could he, would he, will he come in a few minutes? Well, I suppose so, dear. Well, 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 why do you ask? Mommy, my hair looks really bad. Would you comb it, please, before Jesus comes? Aw, you know. That always rises up a crowd. Isn't that so true, though? Little kids just get that perspective. When someone's coming, let's get ready. In our house recently, it's been the ice cream truck. When the ice cream trucks, everything drops and you run outside, right? Because that's what you do. But the second coming is going to be the most spectacular event in all of human history. Nothing's going to compare to its moment. The moment when Christ returns and the dead rise to meet him in the air is going to be for us the greatest day we will ever see apart from the day we came to Christ. And the personal hope that we have and hold most in the scriptures is not a rapture, believe it or not. It's a resurrection that you who were once far off have been buried and you will be resurrected at the trump shout of the Lord and you will be like him. Not as God, not be a God like some teach, but you will be like Christ. And that's why Luke twelve forty Jesus reminded us he said, but you therefore be ready also, for the Son of Man comes at an hour when you think it not. And the coming of Jesus is even more exciting. And, and we're already halfway through the year almost, so you know you're going to think about this. Jesus' coming is even more exciting than Santa Claus if the adults feel it is and act like it is. And I've seen this happen. At Jesus' first coming, he stood trial before the world. But at his second coming, the world stands trial before Jesus. And the coming of Jesus confronts us with our total inability to bridge the gap between anything that Christ can offer, uh, that, uh, that all that Christ offers, rather. The question is, are you ready for it? Are you ready for the return of Christ? Are you ready for his return, if it were be today, whether your hair is combed or not, are you ready for his return? And that's why the big idea, the, the, the simple summary of the sermon is this, is we need to stand by every word of Jesus Christ, the ones the world loves and the ones the world hates. Because, guys, coming, this coming of Jesus 
and us being ready should produce in us a spiritual alertness. We should be ready spiritually. Our antennas should be up spiritually. We should be ready also to be on mission. There's an urgency here. Christ is returning, and we don't know when. Therefore, let's be about his business. There's also another thing that this will teach us today is that the power to forgive, that when Christ returns, we don't want to be holding any grudges or any, any uhs against anybody else. We want to go before God and say, God, I lay it all before you, including those people who hurt me. And finally, the return of Christ gives us a hope for suffering. Isn't that great? That even though the world is going this way and we suffer for Christ, we know that he is with us. And those are little elements we will see in this long passage, but I want you especially this morning to focus on two things. It's a very simple outline this morning is that God was faithful to judge in the past and God is faithful to judge in the future. And that is what we believe in. That's our hope. That is what we trust in, that he is going to do these things. And as we come on the heels of this middle of the passage, some 20 verses today, we, you'll recall that Jesus is in what we call the Olivet Discourse. It's the last major teaching before he goes to the cross. And even, even in the upper room, this is the last major section. And Jesus is before his disciples who saw the temple in Mark 13 early on. They said, wow, that's amazing. That's amazing architecture. And Jesus said, don't be amazed at these things, for there's coming a day. And he's been explaining to us the end times. Now, before we get there, Darren, are you pre-mid, post-trib? Are you all-millennial, post-millennial, pre-millennial? Look, Jesus Christ is coming back literally, gloriously, visibly, uh, in power, sovereignly. You name it, he's coming back. I don't have time to diagnose all those things. And we have people who love all these things. Some of y'all believe your clothes are going to fall down when Jesus comes at the rapture. Some of y'all are going to have your clothes for seven years during a tribulation. But we all believe Jesus is coming back. Amen? And that's the important thing here. With that in mind, and we have a lengthy section of Scripture, if you're able to stand, it'll be about four to five minutes of reading. If you're able to stand with us this morning, uh, do so in honor of God's Word. If you are not able to or that's too long for you, please feel free to stay seated as we read Mark Chapter 13, verses 14 to 37, and praise the Lord, we close out a chapter. So you can count your blessings tonight. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. God's word says in verse 14, Jesus' mid-sentence here says, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he not ought to be, let the reader understand, Mark's parenthetical, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down, nor enter the house to take anything out. And let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days. For pray, verse 18, it will not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord, verse 20, had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform many signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Verse 23, but be on guard, I've told you these things beforehand. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give light, the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then you will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Verse 27, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the four ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. 
from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and put out its leaves, you know that summer's near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know he's near its very, at its very gates. For truly, verse 30, I say to you, until this generation passes away, until this generation will not pass away until these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus says, but my words will not pass away. Verse 32, almost there. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you don't know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. Verse 36, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Are you awake? Are you alert? Are you on guard? Those are the reasons this morning. We are going to look at this in a big 50,000 foot view this morning. But I want you to see God's faithfulness to judge in the past and to judge in the future and what that means for us. Let's pray as we start this morning. Father, thank you as we go through a very lengthy section of passage, Lord. We're not going to dig down to every depth, but we pray the major themes carry us this morning, Lord, in, in that, that you are coming again. It's going to get terrible. But Father, that word that was used three, four, five times, the elect, the elect, the elect, the elect, and stay awake, stay awake, be on guard, stay awake. And Father, the fact that you are the one who's in charge and your words will not pass away, though everything else does. We who trust in you are okay. We're safe. We're redeemed. We're righteous in Christ, all because of Christ. Father, encourage us in our faith this morning as we look around this world and see things as they ought not to be. May we see you as you are because you are as you are and you are who you are. We thank you for these things and pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen maybe seated. Thank you guys so much. Well, as we come to this, I, I just want you to know that as I mentioned in the prayer, we are not going in the depths of every single verse as we often do. If you're visiting with us, uh, we have definitely taken our time, haven't we, going through the book of Mark up to this point. But I felt especially that a lot of these themes could be combined together and combined uh, as we study it in one fell swoop. And I think it was appropriate to combine these. Uh, so here we go. First thing is God was faithful to judge in the past. You notice there in verse 14 that Jesus now moves from generalities over the last couple weeks to the signs which would precede the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. You may recall, or if you weren't here to be reminded, that in A.D. 70, the big temple, the third rendition of the Jewish temple was destroyed by the Romans. And so now Jesus, in verse 14 of chapter 13, goes through and talks more specifically about what is going to happen. He's answering the question, when is the temple going to be destroyed? And he says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, those are... Let, then let those who are to flee, flee to the mountains. Every Jew worth their salt during this day, guys, knew exactly what this meant. The abomination which causes desolation is a reference to Daniel 12, verse 11. There something horrible happened. And most Jews believe this prophecy had already been fulfilled. But now Jesus is saying it will be fulfilled yet again another time. 
And the specifics of this were clear to any Jew in the first century. Maybe not to the 21st century American, but back then. When Jesus says, you'll see this happen again, what he's telling them, the same thing that took place around 170 B.C., you, you know that the temple is about to be destroyed to run for it, get out of Dodge, get out of town. So what happened at around 170, 168 B.C.? Well, there was this guy named Titus, a Roman general who, uh, or excuse me, there, there was a, uh, go back a little bit, there was a, 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 a taking over of Jerusalem at that time. And the taking over of Jerusalem at that time was that they were having the temple rebuilt but the, uh, Tyus and Kick, I can't get their names right. There was a guy who came and did some bad stuff in the temple. Can I say it that way? That's about as simple as I can say it. So in 168 AD, they started to sacrifice on the altar. These pagan Romans did things that God said not to sacrifice on the altar. It became an abomination of desolation. It became a terrible thing, okay? And when Jesus says in verse 14 that this is going to happen again, He's predicting what is about to happen some 30 years later after he dies. And that is that the Roman general Titus would come to squash out the Jews and destroy the temple, and he does. He mixes the blood. He throws fire on the altar, and they destroy the temple stone by stone because of the, the, the uh, uh, well, the hard-headedness of the Jewish people to follow their reign. And so this is immortalized by Titus in, in Rome, where they have Titus's arch that's still there to this day. So when Jesus says there's coming a worse time, he's predicting to them the fall of Jerusalem. He's predicting to them the fall that's going to befall the great city of Jerusalem once again. And so that's why he goes on in verses 15 to 18. Did you see that? What are you supposed to do when this happens? Run away. Take your cloak and don't turn back. Get out of here. If you're pregnant, good luck. Go at it. Hope it will happen in winter. Jesus is telling them that in 30-some years after he dies, Jerusalem is going to fall. Be ready. Be ready. Because you know what happened in 170 B.C., and they did this terrible thing to the temple? Guys, it's coming again, and it's going to be bad. So Jesus is giving them the fact that he's speaking to them what has happened in the past, but he's also telling them that there is coming a day that, 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 that will be even a greater trial. That when you see this happen run, and you know what happened around 70 AD, right before this prophecy was fulfilled? Most people ran for the hills. Most people got out of Jerusalem. Most people are going to run away, but Jesus reminds them that this isn't the worst to come. In fact, the worst to come is going to be verses 24 to 37. So friends, I want to remind you today, and, 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 and you'll see this up on the screen, but God shortens times and lengthens times for the sake of the elect. God destroyed Jerusalem quickly because they had so long ago turned away from him. He was faithful to judge in the past. And we know from several Christian sources that this war was a terrible war when Jerusalem fell in 70 AD, that, 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 that the Jews were spread out throughout the whole world, really until 1948 when those who had heritage in the Jewish line came back together under the flag of Israel. It was terrible, but run to the mountains. Now, some will take this passage. I need to let you know this. Some will take this passage I just read and say this is the start of the Great Tribulation. I don't see that here. I think this is referring, as Jesus often does, to the unshakable tragedy that this is going to befall these people. And that's why he tells them 
that many people will come. Did you notice that? He says, at that time, many will say to you, look, here comes the Christ. Look, here comes other Christ. Because the Jewish people were saying, we're not going to get torn down. We're not going to lose our city. This isn't going to happen. But God's word came true through Jesus' prophecy. Israel was done because of their hard-heartedness. So what does this mean for you? And this is the shorter of the two points. It means this. And I'll give you five quick application points. They'll be up on the screen. But Jesus spoke a bunch of signs that went down before the destruction of Jerusalem leading up to it. Jesus tells us quite specifically, directedly to the disciples that these include the arrest and trials of leaders. These would include the persecution of the church. These would include that Jesus tells them that false gospels will come and that he'll divide families, and all these things are going to happen because it shows Jesus knows what he's talking about. With a moment, you lose the, the, the word that Jesus says, you lose all credibility to what you say. Friends, we have the word of God because Jesus rose from the dead, and we have the pen of God because the Spirit of God led them to write it down, infallible, inerrant, inspired, authoritative, as it is sufficient. So this is going to happen. Jerusalem had to fall. And secondly, I want you to see that the gospel must be preached to all nations. You remember that from last week? The gospel had to be preached to all nations. That then in the going out of the church for 30 years before Jerusalem fell, that this would be the sign and condition of the end of Jerusalem. This would be it. The gospel would go out. But thirdly, and Amy will put this up, Jesus doesn't give specific details about what that looks like. In fact, all he tells us is, is that it's going to happen. He tells us there's going to be birth pains. He tells us there's going to be particular earthquakes and things, but he doesn't tell us how it's going to happen, but he says it will happen. And it fell down in Jerusalem in A.D. 70. So, Pastor, let me get this right. You're saying these words, Mark 13, 14 through 23, aren't referring to the future. You're saying these have already been fulfilled. That's exactly what I'm saying. What we're going to get into in just a minute is what's coming down the pike at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus, in the context, is talking to Jews about the question the disciples had. What about these great stones? What's going to happen? He's telling them 30 to 35 years later, Jerusalem is going to be sacked, and it was. It's a great reminder to us that the greatest cities that we have, as beautiful as they are, one day are going to be rubble before the Lord's destruction. There's no place you can hide. There's no hole. You know, I think of one of our brothers in the back who works at the caves down off 435 and 210, there's no hole deep enough that even Hunt Midwest can get away from all the stuff that's coming down the pike. It's coming. And Jesus said, it's going to happen. So he gives them a a, a near fulfillment, but as we get next, he's going to tell us a far fulfillment. Two more things on this section I think that are worthwhile. Jesus tells us false Christ will come, guys. Jesus warns us over and over and over, and some are from within the ranks Don't be deceived. Jesus' words are clear and direct. He tells us this is going to happen. It would happen. We should expect it. But Jesus has warned us that this is coming, and we can be sure exactly how it's going to go down because Christ himself has told us, and that's what's coming. That's what's coming. Do you know there are some Christian teachers today who say that Jesus has already returned? Do you know that? There are some people who have prophesied so falsely so many times that they don't even know the right from the left. Friends, Jesus has not returned yet, but he's coming 
quickly, and he's coming decisively. Let's go to the section, second half of the scripture as we do. Mark 14, 24 through 37. And I want you to see that not only was God faithful to judge in the past, but he's faithful to judge in the future. And this especially applies to us today. Turn back to verse 24 this morning. So Jesus tells them what's going to happen to Jerusalem, but then he goes on. Do you see that word but in verse 24? Does your Bible have a but or next or something like that? It's a transition. That's how we know that Mark 14 through 23 refers to Jerusalem falling and is not the start of some tribulation. This is where this starts now in verse 24. This is what's coming. But in those days, what days? The days at the end, the days at the very end in which Jesus will return. Again, the first part deals with Jerusalem, but now he deals with the end of all time. He recalls that after warning the disciples about the chaos of the fall, he's going to tell them that phrase over and over and over again, and you see it there. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give light, and all these things will happen, but he tells them again and again. Did you catch that phrase that I read a lot? Be on guard. Stay awake. Keep vigilance. Keep the night watch. Because in verses 24 and following, Jesus goes on to assure his people that the final salvation will come, and he will come as king of kings and lord of lords. He will set up his kingdom. And all those the disciples expected of Jesus to enter Jerusalem and to take it over right there, he says, guys, it's not now. It's later. Jesus tells them this will not come until the end of the age. And again, there's a tension in the scripture always, guys, between the already and the not yet. The already has happened. Jesus has come. The not yet has not happened from their view. Jerusalem has not fallen. And from our view, Jerusalem has fallen. But now we're waiting for him to return once and for all. Jesus is speaking of two courses of history. He's speaking of what will happen immediately and what will happen at an undetermined time in the future. The first phrase is immediate, but Jesus now emphasizes that the end is going to come. And so whereas verses 5 to 23 have been speaking about historic events, now Jesus changes the focus to the natural disasters that are coming. When the event to which we now refer comes to fast, the very cosmos itself will fall on its head. Did you notice that? The sun, the moon, and the stars will no longer give light. That's scary enough, guys. I, don't you hate when you go outside and you want to see the, the stars and you look up and it's just gray clouds? It's crazy, right? Now I'm talking about city light pollution. I'm talking about just missing it. And the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Is this literal? Is this figurative? Guys, this is actually going to happen. It's no more mere local judgment on Jerusalem, the temple. It's now referencing the day where God gathers all his people. We know this, and I don't have time to go there, but we, have, we know this from Joel chapter 2 and chapter 3, that there will be a cosmic upheaval and final judgment, not just now on Israel for being hard-hearted, but for all people everywhere who are going to stand before his throne. That is what is coming down. And he tells us that his second coming will be a day of distress. I hate being in distress, don't you? I hate feeling in distress. I hate knowing there's distress. I hate feeling that distress. The whole earth is going to be in distress. And he keeps saying in those days, the point is, is he's letting them know that these cosmic signs of the moon, the sun, the stars, the heavenly body shaking, 
are not just signs of destruction of the end of the temple. Rather, it's the end of the world. It's the end of the world as we know it. That's taking you all back some days. But one of the events that had to pass was Jerusalem had to fall. Look at verses 26 and 27. He now takes us from the destruction to the hope that we have. Look at verses 26 and 27. At that time, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and great glory, and he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the four ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Jesus says, these, these are amazing words. He comes to us and says, look, I'm going to shake it all up. I'm going to destroy it all down, but I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back for you. He will come again. He will gather his elect. He will do these things. Aren't you grateful for that? You know, so often you watch these sappy movies and, you know, you know, and they say, I'll be back, you know, or something Arnold-like and do that. And sometimes they don't come back. And they say, I'll see you next time. And they don't see you next time. They just leave. Guys, I am grateful that as the heavens shake out, as God faithfully judges the future world, He's coming back for us. He hasn't left us. And He's going to do it. When you see the Son of Man, remember that's Jesus' favorite title. He's claiming that His second coming is the realization of all prophecy. He's stating that He Himself, throughout the Old Testament, is the one who is to come. And you remember Mark 8, 31, that he tells us that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests. And friends, that's coming. The implication is clear. Jesus is the Lord of all, including the angelic world. He commands the angels in the act. No longer will his identity be unveiled, but his followers will follow him, and he will raise them from the dead. He'll make all things new, and that is what we know to be true. I mentioned this at the very first, and Amy will put it up. But at Jesus' first coming, he stood trial before the world. But at Jesus' second coming, the world stands trial before him. Don't lose sight of those amazing words. This is clear. Jesus commands the angels. The elect are his, those who, whom he has foreknown, chosen, selected, and he comes before in great power. But this is the worst day imaginable for those who are not Christ. This is the worst day imaginable. It's happening. Those funny Christians who talked about this dead guy raising from the dead, it's actually happening. But Christian, let me tell you, that's not the worst, worst day they'll have. The worst day they'll have is when they spend hell in all eternity, in literal hellfire, forever and ever and ever, consciously aware of what's happening under the omnipresence judgment of God. But for the Christian the worst hell you have on earth has already been satisfied. And where was it satisfied? It was satisfied on the cross. The worst hell you have in your life was taken by Jesus 2,000 years ago when he said, boom, it is finished. It's done. Christian, you will never, even if you were to die in this, whatever this is coming, you're good. You're safe. You're secure. Amen? And that's what you know. The world is going to stand trial before God. And let me share, I've shared this before, but you need to be reminded of this. And you can look this up at various places. We will stand and clap for every person who's cast out of God's presence someday when we stand with God. You, saints, will help judge the world with Christ. 
Well, what about those people who didn't know Jesus? That's so sad. It is sad, but they've had chance after chance after chance after chance, and you will see God as he is, and you will praise God because he's following through on what he said he would do to judge the world in faithfulness. Well, pastor, that means God's not a God of love. God loved us so much. He sent forth his own son, did he not? He loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, he gave his life for us, but this is what's coming down. We will stand trial no longer before the world. The world will stand trial before Jesus, and he will gather the elect. Guys, I love that. He will save his people. He'll raise the dead. He'll judge all people, and this is where we are to do it. Now, I want you to go quickly with me. I told you we're going to go through this. Go down to verse 28, and Jesus gives us another parable. He says, learn from the fig trees its lesson, its branch, its tender puts off its leaves, and you know summer is coming. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. When the disciples see these, these signs, they know it's about to come to pass. This means we've been living in the last days since the coming of Jesus. We've been in the last days since the day he died and resurrected. Second Peter 3, 4 says, Some will scoff and say, Where is the coming promise that he said? And they should realize that every breath they have is a gift of God. If Jesus should appear, his wrath would consume them lest they reappear. And that's why he tells us in verse 30, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened. Heaven and earth will not pass away, or heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, if you're a Jew and you're hearing this, you're thinking, wow, I got that potion that helps me live forever in this world. And I want to be clear about this. Some claim this generation of verse 30 is a reference to uh, the generation living when Israel became a nation in 1948, but I, I think that's not clear from the passage. In fact, Jesus is answering questions about his disciples. Are we really to believe that Jesus was speaking about a modern nation of Israel, but not actually answering the questions put to him by the twelve? It makes far more sense to see Jesus informing the twelve that they would see the signs coming very soon. And then after everything had happened, the destruction of the temple would be evident, and he can guarantee this, that, that he will carry them home. That's the point of what Jesus is making. His words will never pass away because he is the one who's making the assertion. Friends, I want you to know what Jesus says. And look at verse 32. He tells us very clearly, doesn't he? No one knows the day or the hour no one knows the day or the hour, verse 32, except the Father. Now, that may trouble some of you. Well, there, isn't Jesus God? I mean, doesn't he, doesn't he know all things? Isn't he the God-man, fully God, fully man? Yes, he is. But in his humanity, he is not known these things. He does not know these things. And so it amazes me that many blatantly ignore this warning. There's so many, so many people. And friends, let me tell you, and Amy will put this up on the screen, people get obsessed with the end times to the point where they go crazy about date setting, and that's unfortunate because that means people have gotten bored with the biblical gospel. You're going to know everything about everything when Jesus returns, when he returns. But you know what? You have the gospel right now. He loved you. He cared for you. He saved you. And so we need to be careful of folks like Chuck Smith, Harold Camping, who's passed, Hal Lindsey. And I'm naming these people from the pulpits because they've predicted dates and Jesus has not returned and they continue to predict dates. Be very careful. 
Since no one knows when Jesus is coming back, the only one who can is God himself. God will keep his promises even if we don't know when. Meanwhile, we are to be the best parents, the best providers, while the church seeks to do the greatest good in sharing the gospel around the world. Friends, that's what we know. Date setters and prophecy pundits have made so many false predictions, it's embarrassing to the Christian faith. I mean, come on, think about it. If I told you I'm going to show up next Sunday and preach a uh, sermon and I don't show up, I would hope Brother John Higgins, wherever he's at, our personnel director, is going to be pounding on my door. Well, where were you at? Well, I predicted that we weren't going to show up on Sunday. I thought we were going to show up on Monday because we're just going to do something different. John, what's wrong with you? And John would look at me with a fish, cold fish, and slap me like this back and forth a thousand times. (laughs) How dare you? You know it's Sunday. Well, friends, we know those days, but we don't need to predict the end days because Christ knows. Don't go there. What he tells you to do, did you see what he said to do? Don't worry about the dates, but let's look at this again. Verse 33, be on guard. Verse 33, keep awake. Verse 36, lest you suddenly find yourself asleep. I say to you, verse 37, stay awake. This is why, study the end times. You go study the end times. There's nothing wrong with that. You need to know what the Bible says about these things. But don't get so wrapped up in dates and times and signs and wonders that you miss the greatest wonder of all, greater than creation, greater than than anything else, is that Jesus redeemed your lost soul. That is the greatest thing. Look, I love, I, I, I would love to see, I would love to, hey God, can you DVR this for me? Can you show me when you created everything and the boom and the... Or, or, you know, you know, let it be, and it was, and the earth came to be. How amazing! But the most amazing thing was where, whether you were in a closet by yourself, whether you were with a pastor at a summer camp or wherever you were, and you got on your knees physically or not, and in your heart you said, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve the worst, but at the cross you gave me your best. I repent and believe the gospel. That's the greatest evidence that we have. Be careful about setting dates. He says, beware, 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 beware. There is, and and, uh, I told you just a couple weeks ago, I do not agree with this site. You can go to (laughs) raptureready.com. And the gauge changes every day. The stock market goes up, the gauge of rapture goes down. (laughs) The Royals win the World Series, Jesus is coming back, amen? (laughs) And you know it. Be on guard. Be away. Yeah, we got 25 more years for that, right? Every 30, 26, 25 years. Look, guys, the, part of the reason I wanted to get to the scripture and get away from the details of this, because not because I'm afraid of details. You know one thing about us here. We tackle hard issues. We talk through the, the easy stuff. It's all the Bible. We want to do it. But I want you to be more aware of what's happening generally than the signs specifically, because I'm not a sign setter. But I do know this. The gospel has happened in your heart if you're a Christian. And he warns you to be on guard, to be ready, to stay awake, to not believe everything you read on the internet. You know, Abraham Lincoln said that, don't believe everything you read on the internet. <laughs> Let that sit in, guys. Be very careful. Just because they have a DR period, pastor, reverend, most holy person, don't believe them. Guys, don't even take my words. Go back to this word, okay? I could be wrong at times. You take this word and you get into it like the Bereans and you find out what God's word says and you dig it out. Be wary, be on guard. Let me close with this. And Amy, if you just want to go to the last slide, what does this mean for you? 
What does this mean for you? Four things, and Amy will put these up. This should produce in us a spiritual alertness. I said this at the introduction because I want it to come full circle. This should produce within you a spiritual alertness. Darren, what, well, when's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? What are the details of it? I don't know. And Jesus doesn't say. He just gives us the generals with the specifics, if that makes any sense. Like when your kid comes to you and says, are we going to go to the park today? Well, possibly. But Jesus does that in a divine way. Jesus, tell me the exact day, the exact nation, the exact leader. Where's that Antichrist guy going to come from? Is there an Antichrist guy? Is it, is it the Pope in Rome? Is it, is, it, is it this guy from Czechoslovakia? Is it some guy from South America? These are all thoughts people have had over the centuries, by the way. Who is it? Is it Hitler? Don't play pin the tail on the Antichrist. Play pin the tail on who doesn't know the gospel. Share the gospel. Be alert. Get it up. Don Harrison has one of those old phones that, like, you got to pull the antenna out like 10 feet just to get it up. Don, I'm just messing with you. Whatever it takes for you to be on high alert spiritually, DEFCON 1, then you do it. Because, guys, be aware, be alert, stay awake. It's coming. And this leads to, secondly, mission urgency. Guys, if Jesus is coming back any time, our mission is urgent, is it not? Share the gospel. Love people well. If you know the world has an end and it could be soon, that rearranges your priorities. Yes, you've got to hold down a job. Yes, you've got to love your family. Yes, you've got to do all the things the Bible talks about. But with that is the undergird that Jesus could return at any time. And I mentioned it last week, and I think it bears repeating. We do not believe that you have to have last rights before you die, friends. If you know Jesus at the cross, he took all the rights that you had and surrendered them, and he fulfilled it, taking it all. Thirdly, the power to forgive. If this is going to go down, you need that power to forgive, don't you? The return of Jesus gives us the power to forgive. When someone wrongs us, we want justice. We want it now. So we run to the judgment seat of the world. We hop on it, and we help God meet out their due and, and say, you deserve this, you deserve that, and please hear me. There's, there's rules. God has set up governments, and we have rights and rules for those people. God has ordained them to be in the places they are. But here's the problem. We weren't meant for that seat ultimately. God is. If you have the need to forgive someone, may you make it known that you need to go forgive that person. Or maybe you've been forgiven. You just don't want to receive it because you're going to hold that against them. You need to do that as well. Receive that forgiveness. There's hope and suffering. Lastly, the return of Christ is good news for people whose lives are filled with bad news. Because we know the ultimate news is, despite all the stuff that's coming down, Christ reigns supreme. Look, have you pinned the tail on my eschatology, my end times views yet? Probably not. But I'll tell you this. One thing I know is he's returning. Are you ready? Will you bow with me as we pray, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper in just a moment? Father, as we come before you, we want to thank you that, uh, Father, you are God. That, Lord, as we come, we come not as the world. Father, we come not as people who have something to offer. Father, your son offered it fully, completely, satisfactorily on the cross and in the burial, and in the resurrection, the literal, physical res resurrection of your Son. Father, we thank you that Christ is enough, not just enough to get us through the day, although he is, it's sufficient for the task, but grace sufficient for all eternity, secure in Christ, not because we deserve it, not because we earned it, but all because Christ died for it, for your glory and our good. Father, we thank you, Lord. We 
Father, as we parse out end times theology over the years at Tower View, we will have differing views, but one thing we agree is that your son is risen. He's risen indeed. He returns. He's coming again. Father, let us be ready. Father, I pray for our church that we love one another at even greater levels by your grace and spirit, that we serve one another at even greater levels by your grace and spirit, that our outreach, evangelism, sharing the gospel verbally, for faith cometh by hearing, Lord, that you help us to do that faithfully, knowing that at the day and the hour you return, all will be seen for what it was. Help us to be faithful. Father, individually, as families, Lord, I pray that you help us raise our kids in that, our grandkids in that, our nieces, our nephews, our, our husbands and wives to that truth that you're coming again. So, Father, let us be ready. Let us prepare our families. Father, we can't change hearts. We can't convert people. That's the power of your Spirit. But we pray that we would do everything in our power to point people back to Christ humbly, lovingly, boldly, and, God, with great urgency as we go through. Father, as we do these things, we pray them to the glory of your name. Tower View Baptist Church is yours. Father, we have lots of needs here at the church. We have lots of needs in our family. But we thank you that you can meet all those. We pray in Jesus' name, God's people said. Amen.